Welcome to Mammoth Community Christian Church. It's such a joy to worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, with you today. So as I mentioned in my prayer, Pastor Brian Higgins is our scheduled speaker for today, and he was so excited to come back. He, he's preached here many times in the past, but it's now been a few years because he, he moved out to the West Coast, and now he's moved back. He's now the assistant pastor of North Shore Fellowship, a church nearby that actually met in our building uh, several years ago, a church that, that uh, is a sister church of ours that we care a lot about. And so we're excited to have him back, but because his son has COVID, he's not here in person. So yesterday, uh, he was scrambling, and he gave us a video recording of a sermon. And this is not ideal. We avoid this as much as possible. It's been at least a year since uh, we've done this. But to still allow Pastor Brian to speak God's word to us and to accommodate his family's health situation, we're going to watch him preach to us by video today. God still speaks through video. So let's have open hearts and open minds to receive what God will say to us today. Well, good morning, church. My name is Pastor Brian. I am very grateful for the opportunity to be with you today, even though I'm not physically there with you guys. Uh, if we haven't had the opportunity to meet, my wife and I had a number of opportunities to come to Mammoth Christian Community Church and be able to share the word and enjoy some fellowship together. And we were really excited for the opportunity to come back this Sunday. But unfortunately, since Friday night, both our son and my wife have tested positive for COVID. Uh, fortunately, everyone's feeling good. So it looks like things are moving in the right direction. But in an abundance of caution, we've decided to do this virtually today. Uh, I'm really grateful for past opportunities to have spoken at your church. Uh, being able to preach there was a, a really important opportunity for me to find my preaching voice and proved to be really valuable experience towards the ministry opportunities that God has granted since then. So uh, I really wish that I could be there today, but we're also very hopeful that we'll be able to find a time where we're together in person soon. Uh, before today's teaching, I just wanted to share a couple quick ministry opportunities the Lord has opened up for my family and I, and uh, ask for your prayer in each of those things. Uh, currently, I serve as an assistant pastor at North Shore Fellowship, and one of the opportunities that God is putting in front of us and one of the dreams that we're sort of chasing after is the idea of church planting in Asbury Park. So if you would please join us in praying for that. It's a huge undertaking, uh, but it's something that we're already seeing God begin to bless and move in. One of the most concrete steps we're taking towards this is we are hosting a Bible study at a barber shop called The Study in Shrewsbury every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. It is open invite. Anyone is welcome to come. So particularly if you have a heart for church planting and want to learn a little bit more about it and see uh, sort of the very early steps up close, or perhaps if you have unbelieving family and friends where perhaps inviting them to a church is just a really big step for them and, and may currently be a bridge too far, perhaps a, a more informal setting like what we currently have would be a good opportunity for them. If you have any questions about that at all, please feel free to email me directly. Uh, another ministry endeavor that the Lord has put in front of me is the Good Lion podcast, and I've had the opportunity to share about that a little bit at your church. Uh, it's with uh, myself and a good friend of mine, Pastor Aaron Salvato, out in Oklahoma. Uh, we 
talk very directly on cultural and spiritual issues and try to talk about them through the lens of being good without being safe. We don't just want safe cookie cutter conversations. We want to dive into what's deep and perhaps a little bit more dangerous, but by walking through that doubt, we can find uh, a richer, more genuine faith. Uh, but for today, I'm excited to share with you a teaching that I actually gave at our church, North Shore Fellowship, this last Sunday on Acts chapter 21, called The Road, uh, the Difficult Road That Leads to Opportunity. I hope it blesses you today, and I'm hopeful for the time where we can be in person together soon. May God bless. The title for today's message is The Difficult Path That Leads to Opportunity. Acts 21 is a little bit of a transition chapter between two major events within the book of Acts. So we're going to look into that and see how Paul's willingness to walk a difficult road led to an incredible opportunity for the gospel. But before we jump in, let's pray and ask God one more time to bless our time of studying his word together. So Father, we thank you that you are the God who desires to speak to us. You want your word to be clear and you want to help us live lives that honor you and fulfill your will. But we know that at times that's going to be difficult. So we pray that through studying your word, you would strengthen us and empower us to walk those difficult roads that may lead to the opportunities that you have for us. We pray your blessing over this time. In Jesus' name, amen. In most cases, if we're honest, we operate on one basic principle. What's going to be in this for me? I'm willing to take a long road trip if it means I arrive at a beautiful destination. I'm willing to take a difficult hike if it means that some beautiful waterfall is going to be waiting there for me. I'm willing to do a difficult job if it means I'm going to get paid in a way that's going to help provide for me and my family. We're all willing to take on difficulty as long as we know that something is in it for us. Now, the problem with this is at times, God calls us to walk difficult paths where it's really hard to see what we're going to get out of it at the end. We face health concerns, or we face financial burdens, or we face any kind of relational difficulty without the guarantee or without the easy-to-see promise of, but this is going to work out in the long run. This is going to be something that God creates beautiful opportunities out of. And as we think about following God's will, and in this chapter specifically, Paul is going to walk a difficult road, but it's going to be a beautiful example of in the face of difficulty, when we're willing to walk difficult roads, beautiful opportunities can wind up coming out of it. So let's look at Acts chapter 21, and let's begin in verse 1. After we had torn ourselves away from them, we put out to sea and sailed straight to Kos. The next day we went to Rhodes and from there to Patara. We found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, went on board and set sail. After sighting Cyprus and passing to the south of it, we sailed on to Syria. We landed at Tyre where our ship was to unload its cargo. We sought out the disciples there and stayed with them seven days. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When it was time to leave, we left and continued on our way. 
All of them, including wives and children, accompanied us out of the city, and there on the beach we knelt to pray. After saying goodbye to each other, we went aboard the ship, and they returned home. We continued on our voyage from Tyre and landed at Ptolemus, where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed with them for a day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, The Holy Spirit says, in this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. Now, this is a difficult section of scripture. Don't get lost in all of the travel and the cities. Let's keep our eyes on the bigger picture here. Earlier in the book of Acts, Paul had made it very clear that he had been, uh, it had been shown to him by the Holy Spirit that he was called to go to Jerusalem, that he was called to testify about Jesus, and that difficulty was waiting for him there. So with that in mind, he is confidently moving forward to Jerusalem, and this section describes a lot of stops along the way, where he's saying difficult goodbyes, where he's facing hard travel, where even we're seeing people with great intentions try to talk him out of continuing his journey on to Jerusalem. And it's, it's interesting to look at this passage because we see Paul has been so faithful why is God now bringing him on this really difficult road? Why are these hard goodbyes a part of this chapter? Why are these difficult things now coming Paul's way? You see, deep down, we, we wouldn't say that we believe this. There's a lot of talk in many church circles about the prosperity gospel. And here at North Shore, we certainly don't espouse the prosperity gospel, the belief that if you just have enough faith, God will make sure that only good things happen in your life. We would not say that we believe that. We would not teach that. And yet there is something in all of us on this deep core level where we say, well, if God really is good, then why doesn't he just give us good things? Why doesn't God just make good things happen in our life? Why does he allow difficulty to come our way? And the path that Paul is walking it's not just crazy to us today. It was crazy to the people he was talking with. You know, notice in different sections of this passage, there are good, wise Christians trying to talk Paul out of where he is headed. There are solid believers trying to say, please don't go to Jerusalem. And this section culminates in a terrifying prophecy, one where somebody takes Paul's belt, ties up their own hands and says, this is the way the owner of this belt is going to be bound and handed over to the Gentiles. This is a difficult road. This is not one of the fun passages that God will make all things new, and he certainly will, don't get me wrong. But one of the things that we have to reconcile is that the Christian walk does include difficulty. It is not all sunshine and rainbows. It is not all God's kingdom perfectly marching forward with no difficulty or opposition. So how does Paul react to this difficulty? Well, in verse, four, in verse 12, I should say, he says this. When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. 
But then Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And when he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. So what is Paul's view here? Paul is saying, I am more committed to accomplishing the will of God than even to my own comfort. And he brought it even a step further. He said, not only am I willing to be bound and go to jail, he's saying, I'm willing to lay my life down for the sake of accomplishing God's will. Now, this is something that we're used to seeing in the natural world to some extent. We're used to people making sacrifices for something they view as bigger. You know, we're used to the idea of parents staying up long nights to care for their sick children. Caring for their family is bigger than their own comfort. We're used to seeing how exercise programs work. You have to give up temporary comfort to achieve a more long-term result. We're used to this idea. And in Paul's mind, what he's showing us here is that accomplishing God's will is the greatest thing a person could do. He said, even if it includes me laying my life down, even if it includes me giving up all that I have, I am so committed to accomplishing God's will, I'm not going to let anything get in my way. I'm not going to let anything dissuade me. Now, what kept Paul going in this instance was he clearly knew what God wanted. He clearly knew where he was supposed to go. Now, Maybe we look at this and we envy Paul in that sense, not necessarily the road he had to travel, but the clarity that he had of what God wanted him to do. We wish that God would just show us what job to take, that he would clearly tell us where to live and where to settle down and who to be with and all of those different things. We wish for that type of clarity, but while we don't have it necessarily on many specifics, we do have it generally. We do know what 1 Peter 2.15 says, where it says, For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. What God does want for all of us, regardless of job status or relationship status or clarity about what the next 10 years might look like for us, regardless of any of those things, we do know that God wants our character and conduct to display himself accurately to a world that desperately needs to know him. We do know that that is part of our path to walk. And we do know, especially if you've walked with Jesus for any length of time, that displaying his character well often comes at a cost. To love our neighbors well, we have to sacrifice for them. To love our church family well, we have to be willing to put the effort into serving. To be generous, we have to give what we have. Anything that we would do that accurately represents the character of Jesus is going to come with cost. But that is how we accomplish God's will, by being faithful representatives of his character. We can accomplish his will by putting to silence the ignorant talk of foolish people, people who have accusations to make about the church, people who say that following Jesus won't fundamentally change you. By our good character, we can show that that is just foolish speaking because Jesus does have the power to change, because following him does have the power 
to transform. And because faithfulness to him makes us completely new creatures. That is what we're called to do. So Paul, he was committed to his task, and we need to be committed to ours. Now, as the chapter goes on, not only is Paul committed to his task, but he is committed to God's way. Like we're talking about now, he's committed to displaying the character of Jesus, not just embracing the fight that he thinks is coming to him. Let's look at verse 15. After this, we started up on our way to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples from Caesarea accompanied us and brought us to the home of Manasseh, where we were to stay. He was a man from Cyprus and one of the early disciples. When we arrived at Jerusalem, the brothers and sisters received us warmly. The next day, Paul and the rest of us went to see James, and all the elders were present. Paul greeted them and reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. When they heard this, they praised God. Then they said to Paul, You see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed, and all of them are zealous for the law. They have been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or live according to our customs. What shall we do? They will certainly hear that you have come. So do what we tell you. There are four men with us who have made a vow. Take these men, join in their purification rites, and pay their expenses so that they can have their heads shaved. Then everyone will know that there is no truth in these reports about you, that you yourself are living in obedience to the law. As for the Gentile believers, we have written to them our decision that they should abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, and from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. And the next day, Paul took the men and purified himself along with them. Then he went to the temple to give notice of the date when the days of purification would end, and the offering would be made for each of them. A long section of scripture there, but here's basically what's happening. As Paul is arriving in Jerusalem, the fight that they're anticipating is that the Jewish leaders are going to claim that Paul does not care about old Jewish tradition, that in following Jesus, he has abandoned the old Jewish way. And the simple problem with that was it wasn't true. Paul never said all of the previous things we know about Judaism are just silly and pointless. He never said that. In fact, there's moments where we see him following and observing those principles. And here's a simple example of that. He meets with the Christian leaders in Jerusalem, and they have this conversation. What are we going to do with all of those people who are going to say that you're just abandoning Judaism and you speak down on our tradition and our heritage? Well, what they don't do is say, well, we'll just yell louder. We'll just fight back even harder. They'll be mad at us, but we'll be even more mad at them. They don't do that. Instead, they devise a plan for how Paul might make peace. They say, we got these four guys here with us. They're going to go through a Jewish ceremony of purification. And not only, Paul, should you join them, you should pay their way. You should make a public display of, I am in support of following God in this way, that believing in Jesus does not need to mean abandoning the traditions of the law and the traditions of Moses. What is Paul really trying to do as he does all of this? He's trying to pursue peace. He doesn't just anticipate that they're going to have a fight with me, so I'm going to fight back. You know, that's something that, that we do sometimes. Have you ever known that an argument was coming? 
And so you're in the shower that morning and you're planning out how you're going to beat that person in the argument. And you're thinking about what they're going to say and how you're going to have this perfect line to one up them. When we think a fight is coming, we tense up, we get defensive and we get ready to crush our enemy. Well, Paul arrives in Jerusalem knowing a fight is coming, but he chooses to try to make peace. He's, he lives out perfectly what he preaches to us in Romans 12, verse 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Paul recognized it's not our job to win fights. It's our job to be faithful representatives of Jesus. And that is something that was really difficult for him in this moment. And we'll see in the rest of the chapter, it does not necessarily go well every time. But it's something that's also difficult for us today. Our culture has become more and more fixated on fighting. We've become more and more focused on proving our enemies wrong and identifying more and more people as enemies. One of the great principles that Jesus shows us is that of loving our enemies, that of trying to be peacemakers in all moments. Jesus himself said, blessed are the peacemakers. That's an identifying mark of whether or not you are following Jesus appropriately. Are you living as a peacemaker? So Paul, he doesn't come in just saying, because they're angry, I get to be angry back. He's saying, I'm going on this journey to accomplish God's will, and I cannot accomplish God's will by abandoning God's character. And the same is true for us today. So they have this whole big plan. Paul's going to do his best to make peace. How does it go? Verse 27 begins to show us. When the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, Fellow Israelites, help us! This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people and our law and this place. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place. They had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian in the city with Paul and assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple. The whole city was aroused, and the people came running from all directions. Seizing Paul, they dragged him from the temple, and immediately the gates were shut. Now this, kind of circling back to the intro, this particular section to me is the hardest part of the chapter to wrap my brain around because I want to be able to say Paul is doing everything right. Paul is trying to make peace and what he finds is peace in the city. Now look, in some cases that is true. Sometimes our loving and gentle response will turn an enemy into a friend. Sometimes our gracious and giving response to people instead of fighting fire with fire, sometimes that tactic will soften the hearts of our enemies and God's enemies. But even if it doesn't, that doesn't make it wrong. Even if our gracious loving response is met with anger and hostility, that doesn't make God's way the wrong way. We are still called to be God's representatives of his character, even if it includes difficulty that comes our way. You know, we naturally look at this section and we say, well, Paul's been good. He should get good things. 
The only problem with that is that's not Christianity. That's karma. That's a, a very natural and paganistic religion. It's not the religion that God promises to us. You see, God hasn't promised us that everything will go well. He hasn't promised us that if we just do the right things and say the right words, we will get the right response every time. Instead, what he has promised us is that no matter how much we are hurt or maligned or schemed against or attacked, none of those things take away the victory that God has won for eternity. He hasn't said, I will make everything go right for you right now. What he does say is no matter how brokenly the world responds to you, it'll never take away the fact that I've set you free. It'll never take, the fa- take away the fact that I have made you right. That is what God promises us. So Paul faces this difficulty, and as the chapter continues, he does so very graciously. Verse 31 says, While they were trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. He at once took some officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd. When the rioters saw the commander and his soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. The commander came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. Then he asked who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd shouted one thing and some another. And since the commander couldn't get the truth because of the uproar, he ordered that Paul be taken to the barracks. And when Paul reached the steps, the violence of the mob was so great, he had to be carried by the soldiers. The crowd kept following, or the crowd that followed kept shouting, get rid of him. Now, a couple things that we don't see here. One, we don't see Paul fighting back. But two, while we do see a very dark situation, a crowd that really seems ready to rip Paul limb from limb, what we're about to see is that these dark moments can turn into great opportunities. Notice how the chapter concludes in verse 37. As the soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks, he asked the commander, may I say something to you? Do you speak Greek? He replied. Aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt and led 4,000 terrorists out of the wilderness some time ago? Paul answered, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no ordinary city. Please let me speak to the people. And after receiving the commander's permission, Paul stood on the steps and motioned to the crowd. When they were all silent, he said to them in Aramaic, and then chapter 22 begins. Now, very much cliffhanger that I'm leaving you on here, but I do want you to see this. For all of the outrage that Paul had received, for all the anger and hostility, what I want you to notice is that the next chapter, chapter 22, is the sermon Paul had been waiting his entire Christian life to give. Paul had wanted so badly to be able to reach his own people, the Jewish leaders, with the gospel. And because he walked a difficult road where he was bound and beaten and maligned and accused and where violence came his way, because he was willing to walk that difficult road, he is about to get that opportunity. I mean, this is the Paul who wrote in Romans 9, I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. 
All he wanted to do was share the gospel with his own people. And because of the difficult path he walked, he was about to get that opportunity. You see, one thing that I find for many Christians is that their biggest pains often become their most powerful ministries. You know, when you're going through something, maybe you're going through some type of loss or you're going through some type of medical situation, when you're looking for someone to potentially comfort you, you want someone who's been in that same situation because there's so much power in being able to look somebody in the eyes and say, I know exactly what you're feeling. There's so much power in that. And it proves the principle that God often takes our biggest painful experiences, our worst moments, often become the source of some of our most powerful ministry. So do we always have from difficulty comes perfect joy for us? Not necessarily. But what we can see is that when we walk difficult roads with God, he often has a way of turning them into beautiful opportunities. And this isn't just something that God puts on us. You know, Paul walked a very difficult road, but it's always worth us remembering Jesus walked a tougher road. And the road that Jesus walked actually looked pretty similar to Paul's. Both of them traveled to Jerusalem. Both did so knowing they would face Jewish opposition. Both went to Jerusalem, and before they got there, declared that they would be willing to give their life. Both faced arrest alone, and both were rejected by a violent, angry mob. The difference is Paul is pointing to Jesus, because Jesus' road ends with his death on the cross, but ultimately ends in his resurrection. You see, the road that Jesus walks to the cross so that he can overcome the power of sin and death. That is the difficult road that he walked to make any difficult road we face a little bit easier. Whatever family situation we face, whatever relationship difficulty, whatever financial burden, whatever ministry problem, whatever the difficult road we are currently walking is, remember, Jesus already took the most difficult road. You see, because we deserved the road that Jesus walked. We deserved to have to pay for our own sin, but Jesus, through his death and resurrection, through that difficult road, he conquers sin and death so that we can have true, unending life in him. So because Jesus was faithful to us, he doesn't say, now you try to be as good as me. Instead, he gives us the Holy Spirit so that he can be the goodness that sustains us along these difficult roads. You see, a lot of times we hear these stories about people doing difficult things, and we say, I just have to try to be that tough. I just have to try to be that good. I just have to try to be that faithful. That's not the answer. The answer is, I need to allow the Holy Spirit to be my strength and empower me for the difficult road. You don't have the guarantee of seeing how it ends. But I promise you, and this example from Scripture shows us, that difficult roads often lead to the opportunities that we wouldn't even have dared dream of. God is more faithful than we can imagine. And he loves to redeem our difficult roads 
so that we can be more useful in displaying his character to the world around us. And we know this because Jesus did it for us first. He's laid down his life for us. Let's ask him to empower us with that life so that we can walk our difficult roads with faithfulness, knowing they lead to opportunity. God bless you today.